Yeah, A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O G. Did you say L M N O G? No, I didn't do that. Q R F T U V. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the fleetingly young, fastidiously hip and hopelessly lay editors of American media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hello. And Olga Segura. Hey guys. Also, happy birthday to Ashley. Thank you. Woo! How old are you? I got got that birthday hangover. (laughs) That's exciting. Yes. So yesterday I turned 27. Such a a weird age. It is a very weird age. So it's like you're officially in that second. You're closer to 30, but you're, yeah. Yeah. Ashley um, will still accept birthday cards late. Yes. However, mm-hmm. she's a monster and opens her presence before reading the card. Oh, you're gonna God. call me out like that? <laughs> okay, no, it's true. My dear hosts and producers got me a gift, and there was a bag, and there were snacks, and Jack Daniel was in it, and I just started going straight for that, and then didn't open the card until afterwards. For and the record, Ashley, I don't think you're a monster. <laughs> Thank you. And to celebrate your birthday, we are drinking in honor of you. Yes. So, so what's, what's on, on tap? Oh, Ashley, yeah. oh, we wow. are <laughs> we are drinking Jack Daniels the I, I believe it's the champagne of whiskeys. <laughs> of whiskeys. The champagne of whiskey. Wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. I accept. The banquet whiskey, whatever you want to. The banquet you whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Good. No. So thank you for indulging yeah. my. So cheers. My basic taste. Yep. Zach. This is Ashley's favorite. <laughs> In party. honor of Ashley's birthday week. Happy birthday. Cheers. And cheers. And who are we talking to this week, Olga? Today we're talking with Andrew Lunetta, who heads a nonprofit organization called A Tiny Home for Good. So he builds tiny homes for people dealing with homelessness, which is amazing. He's yeah. my age and doing like super badass work. I know. Our age. I'm I'm 27 now, Olga. Oh my God, I'm sorry, <laughs> Ashley. Our age, our age. For so long, I've been the only one in this part of the 20s, so it's weird, but yeah. welcome. Do welcome, you mean, Ashley. This part, do you mean like the... Over 27 you part? You know what? You're not going to do this after <laughs> you, you called me old for such a long time, Zach. And now that I've embraced it, you want to take it back. Yeah, you'll mm-hmm. understand when you're 27, Zach. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so really excited to talk to Andrew. Um, but first, Zach. We're doing a giveaway again. Woo! So Woo! some people uh, left us some iTunes reviews and re- emailed us and were like, oh, am I too late? The answer is yes, you were. But for those of you who did not write a review last time and you're like, dang it, I should have. I really wanted that. We are giving away something this week. If you leave us an iTunes review and email us at jesuitical at americamedia.org. And we're not going to say what it is until yeah. later in the show. You gotta, so you, you got to listen, listen all the way through. We do have to give a shout out to Karen Stepko, who did uh, leave a review and then did not win. Um, and somehow we missed our on the shout outs I that know. we gave last year. So Gave a lot of people shout outs. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But not Karen. So now she gets a special one. She which is does. Kind of even better. So shout out to you, Karen. <laughs> All right, and now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Uh, and first, the United States is getting its first blessed priest. This is exciting. <laughs> so Stanley, Father Stanley Rother, was he was born in Oklahoma and then was a missionary in Guatemala where he was killed during the civil war there um and this is going to be the first u.s born priest named blessed this is exciting or what not was he is on on sunday september 23rd and actually this means he's not 
going to be canonized. He's this is one step closer. Yeah, so this is beatification. So right. he still needs some some miracles to happen in his hmm. name before he's a saint. But now he's a blessed. So yeah, if you're in need of a miracle, yeah, Father Stanley Roth is looking for one. Yeah, to and give, so especially if it's a language related miracle. So like his story is very he he really struggled with Latin as a mm-hmm. as a seminarian. Like he had a hard time learning a new language but then he goes to guatemala learns the indigenous language which i'm not even going to try to pronounce the name <laughs> of because i couldn't and then translated the bible into that language that for the so first time ever which is just like amazing yeah so maybe if you're failing spanish right now <laughs> spanish or latin or yeah anything anything or pray to pray to father stanley rother all right what's next zach so our next story comes out of Puerto Rico, which uh, is dealing with the devastation caused by her- Hurricane Maria. Uh, Jesuit superior down there by the name of Flavio Bravo uh, gave an interview where he described the situation there as apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, so it's things are no, really bad. Like, like all of agriculture has just been like mm-hmm. wiped out on the island. Communication is still like it, people have not been able to reach their loved ones. Yeah. Um, we were even our own coworkers, uh, mm-hmm. Jose Dueño and uh, JD Long Garcia, have said that they haven't heard from family on the island. Yeah, yeah communication um, just a totally year, wiped a, out a week and a half later. So our prayers are with the people mm-hmm. of Puerto Rico and all their loved ones. Um, next, <laughs> I don't oh, even boy. know what to uh, do here. So a very devout Catholic woman in England um, goes to funerals. Just like for brain, fun, just not, or you know, I think she goes to church a lot, and then there happens to be a funeral, and so she goes. But she's been accused of funeral crashing, funeral crashing, and stealing food from the after funeral party. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I guess okay. that's not the right. It's a party. It's a party. Yeah. Um. So she apparently is going to the funerals, going to the reception afterwards, bringing Tupperware. And no, Ashley, you're lying. No. It's, I, yeah. That, so, like, here's the thing is you can't really fault her for crashing funerals because, yeah. like, I don't know, Catholics believe there's a mass and the more people, I don't know, more people have it, yeah. the mass can't hurt, right? All right. So, we're good with her going to the funeral. Yeah, because mm-hmm. going to the mass, what about the going to the reception? Uh, I'm going to say no. Yeah. yeah. If, you no. Didn't, if you didn't know no. the person at yeah, all. Yeah, don't, don't. That's such a private yeah. moment. And then you're taking it a step further by having their food. It's just, it's weird. All right. What's next, Olga? So, this week, Attorney General Jeff Sessions gave a speech at the Georgetown Law School. It was supposed to be a lecture talking about free speech on college campuses. But of course, he addressed the latest Trump controversy, which is, as we all have heard by now, Trump's comments regarding NFL players kneeling during the national anthem. And he acknowledged that while players have a right to protest, Donald Trump also has a right to condemn them because he also has free rights, too. So, of course, this is sparking a lot of the usual free speech dialogue questions that we have been seeing for many months now. Um, are we mistaken in focusing on free speech here? I right? would say yes. Because it really isn't disputed <laughs> whether whether the NFL players mm-hmm. have the right to mm-hmm. like kneel during the national anthem or whether the president has the right to make obnoxious comments about it. Right. Um, so it's not whether they have the right to it, it's whether they should be. And I also think that when we try to make this about free speech, we forget the reason a lot of these NFL players are doing this. We're forgetting that Kaepernick was kneeling before anyone picked up on it because he said, I don't like the way black and brown people in this country are being treated is unfair. And then he was asked. And then this became this huge thing. I feel like there's this large sense of 
people feel like they own or like these I mean, football we do players talk times. about I I've always found that weird. Right? Even the language used by a lot of the critics, it's like if we're paying you to play, then you have to do this. And it's like, we're paying you to perform and entertain us, but you cannot be a human being off the field. In the meantime, people were totally fine with um, Kim Davis, who was this clerk who was not issuing same-sex marriage license in protest because of her per- her religious beliefs. People are totally fine with her protesting on the job. Someone who we're actually paying. Um, well, I don't think ever. I mean... The people of Kentucky are actually paying... <laughs> yeah. No, but I don't think most people are okay, or a lot of people are not okay with her. Well, I think, but I think a lot of the same people. There's a lot of people who are not okay with NFL players protesting. We're okay with her. It's very clear, like there's this racial dynamic at play here, where it's like, just entertain me. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, because it's like there was the defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks, Michael Bennett, recently last month was pulled over by cops. Earlier this month, I'm sorry, was pulled over by Las Vegas police officers. They used excessive force. There's a video of him on the ground and they even threatened to blow his effing head off. So it's like you can't tell these athletes that they have to behave a certain way off the field. But then when they're not, they're not being treated like celebrities. They're being treated like less than human beings. So I think it's totally unfounded to be upset when they protest like this. So today we're pleased to welcome Andrew Lunetta. Welcome to Jesuitical, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Happy to be here. We've been referring to you colloquially yeah, among a tiny, among, home, tiny home guy. guy. Yeah, tiny. Yeah. Are you? Are you? Do you so, accept that nickname? Um, I, I guess. I, I think I would be the tiny homes. Is it? Don't get me wrong. They're they're cool as hell, and and they're neat, and and um, you know, if you can put a ton of money into a really tiny space and make it look beautiful. But the reason why. I kind of got into this work had nothing zero to do with with tiny homes. It it really came down to how do we best provide housing for individuals facing homelessness, and for the same reason why I think tiny homes are good for for millennials or for retirees. I think they're incredibly good for individuals facing homelessness, where there's a small space that you can take care of, and what you see is you know that's yours, and you have ownership mm-hmm. over it. They're affordable to build, yeah. and I saw these kind of positives to it. And, talking with individuals facing homelessness, everyone made it clear that all they wanted was their own place and where they had their own bedroom, their own bathroom, and they left at in the morning, their stuff would be there at night. Mm. And I thought a tiny home kind of fit that bill. So can, can you tell the story of the of a tiny home for good? Yeah. How, yeah. It, how it got started and what you're doing now? Yeah. Yeah. So while I was at Lemoyne, I, I worked uh, I worked nights at a homeless shelter. And while I was there, you know, the goal was for guys to move out, obviously, was to find apartments that made sense where they would be able to live long term. But so many times, months after months or really after they moved out after a week, they would come back to the shelter and and just say the places they were moved into were were worse than the shelter, you know, Mm. more bed bugs, more whatever. And it made sense to me. I'd visit some of these places and I couldn't believe that landlords were making money off this. So, again, I asked people what they wanted, and everyone just said they wanted a small space mm. that was their own and, and where they didn't have a roommate, and they could really take ownership of it. And I looked around the city of Syracuse. That's where a tiny home for good is located um, in upstate New York, and was just blown away at the amount of vacant lots and just opportunity, how much property was there, and the affordability, how, how cheap it is to build there as well. And I thought, okay, we can build some tiny homes and, and then rent them at an affordable rate to guys facing homelessness. So, I finished up a graduate program at Syracuse University in... 2014 and hit the ground running on a tiny home for good. Wow. 
What's the difference? Because this actually, I mean, like, reminds me, like, I knew a lot of people who grew up in, um, like, trailer parks, mm -hmm. um, where it's sort of the same idea, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it, am I missing something? Or? I, see, I don't think so. I, um, that, that label, like, tiny home, yeah. it's just this, it's, this is like hashtag, hashtag tiny home, and, like, people are super stoked about it. I, it's not that different from, so when I started this, people said, yeah, go to trailer parks, look at how they do their, their mm. plumbing, look at how they do their yeah. electrical. And the truth is, is that it's really not that much different. Our homes are on a foundation, <clears> so there's not wheels or anything like that, but how they work is very, very similar to trailer parks. It just has that that connotation tiny home seems a little bit more fun and yeah and that's really i mean i wasn't stoked about the idea of having a tiny home for good as the name of our organization but again it's it's popular and i really yeah. think it has attracted and what what do tiny homes look like like can you describe what yeah uh they're about 300 square feet so about this little about the size of this studio actually that we're in right now and okay. um that's bigger than i would yeah. think well, I thought a lot well, <laughs> well it's certain it certainly can be you know it, it, it there's not like one like set in yeah. stone thing for a tiny home but yeah. it's anything from like 250 to like 600 square feet whatever mm -hmm. and but for ours they're 300 square feet one big room with bathroom and um bathroom so it's like an apartment plaza. in new york it's city like, basically I suppose, yeah, yeah for about like 118th yeah. of the cost of new york city yeah <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Um, so so real simple and yeah, but it and has every it has like a kitchen, a bathroom, and exactly all yeah. That. And a, and a frequent criticism that I get is, well, don't people want like more space? Like, aren't aren't these guys going to want to you know have families or or you know acquire stuff? And and I think that that's coming from a place of individuals who you know have all that acquired stuff, have those mm -hmm. families, need a place for all that stuff. Where the guys who we're really renting to. Um, they're just looking for a place that, that that's really their own, where they can kind of make it their own. Real quick, who are your critics? I, I think uh, our critics have been a number of people over the last couple of years. It took us a full year and a half to start building. So, so I formed the organization at the end of 2014, and I was able to raise the money pretty quickly. And I just assumed as soon as you got the money, like you could just you know just go find a vacant lot and just mm -hmm. build. But as soon as I started sharing that I wanted to build tiny homes on vacant lots. For individuals facing homelessness, like neighborhoods, really, uh, really yeah, freaked that, out. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that, it, that happens in New York if they're yeah. going to oh, open I'm, a shelter. I'm like... sure. I'm sure. And and at first, so I would be, you know, knocking. I bound up to neighbors' doors, like super excited to share about what we were doing. Like I did this, like for the first three. Yeah. And after getting the door shut in my face every single time, I was like, okay, I got to step back. And then we'd have community meetings where I could barely finish the conversation mm -hmm. because you know people were so up at arms. And I stepped back and realized, well, a lot of people didn't have the same experience that I did. A lot of people weren't working in the shelters. Their only idea of homelessness is individuals panhandling on the side of the road or the kind of couple stories that they see in the local paper about mm -hmm. individuals facing homelessness who have overdosed. And I thought, okay, well, a big part of my work, I guess, is that I'm going to have to kind of change the narrative a little bit. So after a year of trying to get property from the city, trying to get it donated, I just realized we were going to have to do something different. So I found all of the vacant properties in the city of Syracuse owned by private landlords found one and just asked her if I could buy it from her. She said, sure. So we bought it for, it's going to sound ridiculous, but for only like $2,000. you imagine vacant lots? And wow. <laughs> I, I wonder what, yeah, well, that's Syracuse. I wonder what a vacant lot here in New York City would cost. Probably like our, like, millions. It's your <laughs> in the millions. Exactly. No, that's, that's literally like a month's rent yeah. in New right. York City. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we had this piece of property and then, you know, we could build. And so in 2015, we built our first three homes at the very beginning of the Who, year. Who's we? Well, yeah, I say we because it makes <laughs> it makes us us me sound a little bit more professional. Where there's a whole team around yeah, yeah, yeah. me. Now I'm the only staff member. I have a, a really really wonderful group of volunteers: retired teachers, retired firefighters who come out to do the building, wow. um, individuals who are living in our homes who spend time building as well. But 
yeah, I think we has a little bit better sound than just, you know, <laughs> I started Andrew, Andrew doing everything. Yeah. And you mentioned the individuals. What are some of the individuals that live in these tiny homes? Um, so they're right now it's just men and mm-hmm. it's men who have spent, you know, upwards of a decade on the streets or in the shelters. Um, the first five units we've had have been for individuals who are homeless, who are veterans as well. Is that typical, ten, like upwards of a decade? Uh, you know, there's no real, real set number for chronic. There's a, there's a definition of chronic homeless where it's eight years homeless or two spurts of homeless in the course of two years. And Mm -hmm. there's a, you know, there's people who are homeless who get kicked out of their house for a little while and they have to spend a week or something in the shelter. Then there's other people who are just always, you know, just, just in and out of shelter, Mm -hmm. apartment complex, hospital, jail, whatever. Um, and those are the people that we're trying to cater to the people who it really hasn't worked anywhere else. Um, so we're dealing with, you know, people who have substance abuse issues, people who have diagnosed and undiagnosed mental illness. So so those housing pieces are difficult. However, I, I feel strongly that if you don't have a safe place to go home to, if you're asked to stay sober while living in a shelter or under a bridge, like, there's no chance in hell that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think about the shelter, and if I had to live there on a daily basis, I really think I would start drinking too. It's a very, mm-hmm. very difficult right. kind mm-hmm. of place to try and get any sort of foothold. So our goal is to try and form that stability, that foundation, and kind of move from there. What are some of the other problems with shelters or temporary housing? Or, or just like our general approach to homelessness? Um, so so I think uh, shelters provide a, a central service, mm-hmm. without a doubt. There are many people in Syracuse in particular where it gets really, really cold. If at night those places weren't available, people would freeze to death. However, the next step is I feel like we just kind of leave up to whatever like we literally ask individuals with their case managers to go and try and find apartments within their price range, which for many people on Social Security, Social Security disability, that's impossible. If you're making $800 a month, all you're going to find is a $400 terrible apartment mm-hmm. that after a month, you're going to want to move back to the shelter because you feel safer there. Hmm. So I think that that's where the disconnect is. I think it's finding housing or providing, forming organizations or, or, or collectives where we can provide housing at an affordable rate. What is the rent for the tiny It depends on their income. So it's 30% of their monthly income. And then if they're working, it's $300 flat and a tiny home for good pays utilities for the first year. Hmm. Um, So yeah, and a lot of this is just coming out of how are we able to pay our bills while at the same time being able to provide a service for for individuals facing homelessness. And that's the number that we've arrived at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you like tell a story of like one person who like why this worked for them and how it changed their life sure um we moved our first guy in his name was dolphus in july of 2016 of last year so he's been our in our houses for almost a year and a half Mm -hmm. and he said he couldn't remember the last time he's been in a place for more than a year which is which is powerful that i think that's really really special considering he's 41 and couldn't remember the last time he was in a Mm -hmm. house for a year but last november um we had our first snowstorm in syracuse and as the landlord a tiny home for good we're responsible for going out shoveling snow taking care of the walks all that all that stuff and it was like a foot of snow and I put salt in and a uh, shovel in my truck and drove over there. And uh, Dolphus had already been out that, that morning, shoveled his entire walk, his neighbor's walks. And I saw him all the way down the street shoveling the church across the street's walk. Mm. And he was doing it all with a broom. Mm-hmm. So I gave him my shovel and I realized like there is, there's not a chance in hell Dolphus would be doing that if he lived in an apartment complex he, uh, he didn't like or... He would not do that if he did not feel ownership over that place yeah. right there. And I think that speaks volumes about why he's been there for so long, capable of paying rent, keeping it up. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, that was a really special moment. And I'm yeah. just glad that he's there. 
Something I've noticed, you're, you're very careful, and I also picked this up at my Jesuit school, but you, you don't say homeless people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Tell me, you say you've been referring to them as people yeah. facing homelessness. Or yeah, individuals facing homelessness. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it goes back to that first year of trying to find property and realizing that, that when I say homeless, when I say the word homeless, people get a lot of ideas. All sorts of really, really bad stereotypes that surround the word homeless. So when you say individuals facing homeless, it's not like this permanent thing. Mm-hmm. It's not this thing that like a label that's on them that's going to be on them forever. Mm-hmm. You say they're facing it and it's a, you know, it's a hurdle. It's just just a hurdle and we're getting over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you went to Jesuit University, mm-hmm. hung out with some Jesuits. Hung out uh, with a couple. Mm-hmm. With a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what role has Jesuit education played? Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that the classroom... Um, played a huge role i'll be honest i don't think that the classroom played a really significant role sounds in like you're deviating from the pamphlet <laughs> okay. um i'm not sure how like the very specific textbooks the readings that i had on a regular basis were all that helpful to me however there is no doubt in my mind that the time i spent there and the extracurriculars that that i kind of created where i was going down to the shelter and all these different things were incredibly informative there's no chance i would be doing what i'm doing today if i didn't have those experiences at lemoyne and, you know, I would be working nights at a shelter and I would show up to my art history class at like eight in the morning the next day and just like knock out, fall right asleep. And my professor, he could have like docked me or anything like that or said like, Andrew, you got, can't, can't do this. Like, you got to stay up on this. You got to turn in this paper by this date, da, 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 da. But he knew exactly what I was up to. And he was comfortable with that. And I learned later, this was a Jesuit, um, that he had emailed my other professors to share about what I was doing so that if I was, which I was, struggling in those other classes, mm-hmm. they would kind of, you know, give me a little nudge or something like that. Right. And, <laughs> and at the, I didn't realize at the time he told me that later. And like the truth is, is that would never happen in like a state school. That yeah. would never happen, even in like another private institution yep. the size of Lemoyne. Like, I think that they recognized th- what was giving me life. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily in that classroom. They recognized that I found something really, really interesting. And they fostered that. And I, yeah, I think that's what Jesuit education is all about. And no other school could really provide that. All right. So last question. You may or may not see this coming. But if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, mm-hmm. who would it be? I think if I go back to, to what I just talked about, how... Um, you know, living a life that, that you're drawn to, that you're really attracted to. When I understand like a saint, I see someone as who's able to provide that for people around him or her. And there's there's hundreds. I can think of like a dozen people right now, historical or, or modern day saints, who are able to provide the opportunity for people around them to kind of become them full, their full selves. However, for me, like personally, it's I would be remiss if I did not mention my mom. So my mom has since I was born, encouraged me to kind of take the path less traveled, has been, has given me the permission to, you know, explore routes that probably not a typical, like, individual growing up in the suburbs likely would. Right. And there's no doubt in my mind that those, that encouragement, that push from my mom has led me to where I am today to be more of me. And, uh, God, if that ain't a saint, then, then I really, <laughs> really don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's can't awesome. can't fault going with mom. Can't What's yeah. your mom's name? What's your mom's name? Kathy. Saint Kathy. Oh, Saint Kathy. It works. I have a Saint mom. Saint Kathy Saint mom Kathy too. Mom. <laughs> I have a mom. 
yeah. yeah. Goodness. No, and, Andrew, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah, thanks yeah, for being wonderful. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. if people want to learn more about A Tiny Home and just get involved with you, where would they find your work? Yeah, um, we have a website at tinyhomeforgood.org. And uh, if you happen to be in Syracuse, swing by and, and see the properties and meet Dolphus and some of our other residents. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Thanks thank so, you much. so much. Thank thanks, you. All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. Uh, we put out a Twitter poll last week asking people their least favorite hymn because, you know, we're always trying to elevate the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's based on my favorite icebreaker question, which is what's your least favorite Christmas song? Oh. Which we don't need to get into oh, now. Maybe later. We will Let's save that. Yes. We will save that for Christmas. All right, Olga. Okay, so Millennial wrote in Anything by Nickelback. <laughs> which... Look at this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then Sarah wrote, can I just choose glory to God in the highest? That prayer should not be sung to any tune. Most awkward, unsingable lyrics ever. Uh, like, does she mean the Gloria? Yeah. Like well, the thing we have to sing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least say? Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's fine. <laughs> um, so uh, Stephanie wrote in and said, Battle Hymn of the Republic, which 100% agree with. <laughs> Wait, is that actually a hymn? No, but we oh. still doesn't stop people from singing it. Oh, I've in, never sung in it. mass. Okay. Oh, really? No. Yeah. And then Taylor wrote in and said, "I die a little inside every time I hear go make a difference. We can make a difference. <laughs> I don't know any of these. Go though. make <laughs> a difference right, right, in let's the like world. Knock, knock Ashley's ears. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor. <laughs> All right. So Shelley says, "My kid's school does one with the line, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands." I mean, WTF, really. <laughs> yeah. how, do, how do trees clap their hands? And <laughs> Ellie's, our producer Ellie's confirmed she also sang this in school. And Dominic uh, said 99% of the hymns in this book with a picture of the gather hymlo- <laughs> hymnal, which I take offense to. I love 99% of the hymns in that book. But the, by far the most common answer was On Eagle's Wings, which I just do not get. I love On it's Eagle's Wings. It's because everyone had to listen to that when their grandma died. Oh. It's like the most popular funeral song. Really? So. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you guys have a least favorite hymn? Any, anything really... <laughs> anything patriotic, I can't stand mm-hmm. at Mass. Right. You have mentioned this before. No, Zach. I would say anything I don't know the word. Like, I love, I just love singing at Mass. And if I... there's, like, a really, like, hard, obscure song mm-hmm. and I can't sing along, I just am very upset. I don't really yeah. hate this one, but Be Not Afraid makes me cry every single oh, time. So I'm like, yeah. I hate it, but I also really love I it because it. it's so great to sing along to. So... As we said in the beginning, if you leave us an iTunes review um, and send us an email of the screenshot to jesuitical at americamedia.org or tweet it at us uh, at Jesuitical Show, which is where we often do our Twitter polls if you want to sometimes be included in those. Um, Again, at Jesuitical Show. Anyway, leave us those and we're going to send you our brand new issue of our latest magazine. It's really gorgeous. It's one of the best. This is one of my favorite ones we've done. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? So this week we released the uh, China documentary, which I was in China for two weeks over the summer, which is why I was not on Jesuitical for a couple weeks. And it was meant to be a, an introduction to the Chinese Catholic Church for an American audience. And 
felt really good to get that out, get it out in the open. It's beautiful. It's a gorgeous video. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. you did very good as the Catholic Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, it, it, yeah, it felt great to get it out, but that wasn't the consolation. I sent it to um, the, one of the main subjects of the film was Father John Shu, um, who's just this really um, humble, grace-filled priest who was... Uh, we went to his first mass in Beijing yeah. and he's studying in Rome now, but we sent it to him and he said, wow, it's incredible. Like this, a couple of my classmates have messaged me and said that this is helping them have a better understanding of the Catholic church in China. Um, so Chinese Catholics either are sometimes seen as either not Catholic enough or not Chinese enough and not, not Catholic enough because there's this complicated thing about the you know the registered church and the unregistered church and if you're registered church you're in bed with the communist party or something Mm -hmm. and so a lot of americans because they have this i don't know romanticization of of a persecuted church like to like think that the only legitimate catholics are Mm -hmm. the unregistered catholics but the vatican has recognized both of them and um catholics like father john are like working really hard to unify the church Mm -hmm. and so i'm able to see uh, God present in all these places where I was and who the people I was talking to. Um, I almost teared up when he said that. Yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. And really, I can't recommend this documentary highly yeah. enough. So go to org and watch it. There will be a link in the show notes. All right. What do you have, Olga? Um, I've got a consolation this week. So on Tuesday, I went to see Chance the Rapper in Queens. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very exciting. Um, it was my first time seeing him. Uh, and, you know, as our very own Zach Davis has written about rap and religion. Uh, Chance is very, very Christian. And seeing him in that space, first seeing him perform, he loves what he does. And yeah. he's so happy about it. And just seeing him, it was my first time seeing him. So seeing that was just amazing. And then seeing him like have these backup singers and just being super vocal and explicit about his faith was super consoling because he's this person of color who's artistic and who's Christian and who's just so open about all of these things. So seeing him in that space really made it easy for me to see God in him and then also yeah. be like, oh, I'm someone who creates. I'm someone who is finding yeah, God in my work, too, you know? Yeah, you um, and it was nice. just super consoling. Like, Chance is just amazing. And he's just, he really is doing God's work. And just to see him there, like, you know, yeah. this act, like from his activism to his lyrics, he's just really a man of God. And just seeing that made me see god and, and you're doing god's control. work olga thank you yeah <laughs> what do you got ashley um so i also have a consolation i guess that's okay for I it's, your, re- it's your birthday week ashley it's i was okay. ready for you to have a desolation <laughs> i know see and the reason zach said that is because i told him yesterday that like i have this bad habit of crying on my birthday <laughs> why is that i so it's it started in college when I was, like, away from, like, my family and my, like, friends from mm-hmm. home. And, like, I don't know. I've always been someone who has a few close friends. And th- that's just the way I am. Like, I don't have an expansive friend circle. And I feel like birthdays are the it's this day where you're supposed to have, like, a you're supposed to, like, throw a party for yourself and invite all your friends. Right, right. And I just, like, hate the expectations of it and feel, like... I don't know. It just makes me feel like lonely and like I'm not doing something right. Mm -hmm. Um, But this, I am happy to report that I did not cry yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess the consolation is that I, I found some level of acceptance 
of the fact that this is just I'm not going to be someone with like a ton of friends. I'm going to have a few close friends like you guys. Mm-hmm. The day was so special just because like the few people that are really dear to me, um, you know, expressed I don't know, we're <laughs> God, I'm oh, so much for not crying during your birthday week. <laughs> day after, day after, it's okay. But no, yeah. So like between like my friends at the office and my mm-hmm. friends who are in different countries and different states, I still felt I felt so close to them yesterday. Um, and so that was that was where I found God. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you found it, Ashley. I'm glad you found that. So yeah, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> Ashley, get us out of here. Oh, gosh. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Credits. (laughs) Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson, Jesuit Formation and Adult Supervision, provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering by Colleen Dully. And our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter and take our awesome Twitter polls. Mm Um, at Jesuitical Show. And please subscribe to us on iTunes, where if you do it, you can win a brand new issue of America Magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, So leave us a rating, a review, tell your friends to also listen to us if they don't already, Mm -hmm. and then to review us. Um, And now we have some shout-outs from last week. Do we want to popcorn this? Yep. All right. Ottawa Sun, Popcorn Zach. (laughs) Oh, we figured it out. Lexi photo, popcorn Olga. We can stop after that. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, ben RC ninety three. Lolling Lawler. Michelle MJK ninety four. Renee Lamarca. Thirteen Stacy. Tyler M. Wright. Elski T. King Bianamino. So yeah. <laughs> Please <laughs> add to this list so we can continue embarrassing ourselves with this popcorn <laughs> style thing we don't fully understand. Yes. And then send us your questions, feedback, and cocktail recipes and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>